episode 12 of the Water Break podcast. Here's your host, Heather Jennings. Welcome to Water Break, where we try to bridge the gap between water operators and engineers. This episode, we're going to discuss cybersecurity for water and wastewater systems. Our guest today is Tom Kirkham, founder and CEO of Iron Tech Security. Tom is the founder and CEO of Iron Tech Security, which provides cybersecurity defense systems to rural water utilities. During his 30 years of experience in software design, network administration, and computer security, he has received multiple software design awards and founded other acclaimed technology businesses. Tom is an active member of the FBI's Arkansas InfraGuard chapter and frequently speaks about the latest security threats. Welcome. Thank you, Heather. Glad to be here. We want to also remind our listeners that you'll want to stay tuned for the Wanda's Water Tidbit at the end of our program, where we share fun and quirky trivia or information on water. So, Tom, I watched your webinar with the National Rural Water Association, and it was titled How to Protect Your Utility from Cyber Attacks and Inconvenient Truths. And it brought back conversations I've had in the past with operators about putting their controls and stuff on SCADA and the potential for security issues. You know, at the time, it was like, well, who'd care about us? But from your webinar, it seems like a lot of people would care. <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you about it. Well, the threat landscape is continuously evolving. But most importantly, a few things have changed recently. And let me back up a minute. Okay. In fact, the, these computers all have to be online because of security updates and things like that. You actually create an environment that, you know, sometimes we come across SCADA systems that are not connected to the network or the internet, mm -hmm. but those are still hackable. And one way to keep those, or at least lower the attack surface or lower their vulnerabilities is to put them on the internet and maintain security updates, monitoring and things like that. So if you're going to go down the road of automating any mm -hmm. of the water treatment, water flow, any of those systems, it really is better to connect it to the internet. Now, what has happened over the past, I think of about three years ago, the NSA's hacking tools were hacked and they oh. are now available on the dark web and other places with, along with the source code. One in particular is called Stuxnet, or at least that's what the rest of the world called it when it was discovered. Mm -hmm. And it was used, it was created by Israel and the NSA, and it was used to attack the nuclear enrichment facility of Iran. They very specifically targeted just that facility, but that facility used Siemens controllers. And I think it had specificity, if I can say the word. Okay of something like if there's not exactly 164 computers do not deploy in other words they knew this was a very very dangerous virus designed to attack industrial control systems like a SCADA device okay. they knew it was dangerous first time it's ever been done to destroy another country's infrastructure and that's what it did it destroyed the centrifuges. It made the operators look at it like everything was running fine. 
Mm-hmm. We don't really know how long it was on their network before it was discovered. Uh, I've actually seen some recent reports that it was there for quite some time, and it might have actually been discovered even earlier. Regardless, what water operators need to understand is that virus itself, engineered by arguably the most elite cyber attack unit on the planet, or both Israel and the United States are really good, is now available on the dark web, the source code itself, and now it can be designed to attack any industrial control system, not just this Siemens 7 controller for these centrifuges. I'm talking about Siemens controllers that run water operating systems or Johnson controls in manufacturing, whatever it may be. So the landscape changed dramatically over the past two or three years. There's other Uh, reasons, too, because of cyber warfares escalated and things like that. But this was a seminal event in cybersecurity or InfoSec for the whole world. For people who don't think this is relevant, that it doesn't happen to us, you know, there was just that report in Florida of the water system dealing with someone hacking into their system and changing water and chemistries and stuff like that. So if it's starting to become prevalent and we know about this stuff, why aren't we talking about it? in the water and wastewater industry? That's a good question. And that's actually uh, become my mission this year because we see, we, we serve other industries. And mm-hmm. if you take finance, for example, or the medical industry, for example, they have a lot more security laws around patient privacy and, and financial record security. And they are forced by different agencies or or their own relationship with uh, industry, other industry corporations, where they have to do things like disk encryption and multi-factor authentication, biometrics mm-hmm. in order just to log in. But uh, that that's the the very first thing that's even come up is the AWIA requirement of VPA, and you can be in compliance with that regulation without really doing anything. And what we've seen for critical infrastructure, the water utility business is simply just not up to where they need to be compared to the electrical industry, arguably the gas delivery industry, Mm -hmm. petroleum industry, you just go down all the different critical infrastructures. And part of that reason is, there's a number of reasons, but a lot of it has to do with there simply were no requirements, any serious requirements that had teeth in them. You know, there's requirements for getting good water quality. There's requirements for getting training on, on maintaining good, clean water and properly uh, disposing of wastewater. But there, I, I mean, AWIA really doesn't have teeth in it, and it's simply not adequate. I understand why they did that, because that was the first step. Did this, uh-huh. I saw the same thing play out with HIPAA laws and regulations. They started okay. off where they didn't find medical facilities, and then two or three years goes by, and now they just fine first. You, they get a fine no matter what if they have a breach. And uh, so it was a first step. It was absolutely uh, done with the best interest in heart, and, uh, you know, it's a political decision. You know, I think it's kind of strange that, you know, my latest phone has biometric, you know, thumb scans and has more security than data that impacts, you know, thousands to hundreds of thousands of people's water. 
and you know, wastewater treatment. You know, when, when you think about it, it seems a little astonishing. Yes. And there's there's a lot of individuals and organizations in the water industry that understand the risk. There are water utilities that have been over backwards to make themselves more secure. Mm-hmm. However, it is a very, very small percentage. It's not anywhere near the 160000 that we need to take this seriously. Okay, so what are the usual excuses for for not doing it? Well, that's a good question. I, a lot of it, is, we're still struggling with, I'm too small, no one's ever heard of us. Why would anybody attack a little water utility that only has 300 customers? Well, mm-hmm. that's... That's not the way these attacks occur, regardless of whether the threat actor is a nation state or a criminal organization or even an activism or or hacktivist organization. They are usually running a numbers game. So they are doing a one to many hack. They the easiest way to hack all the water utilities in the United States is simply download the EPA list. There's your list. And then the attacks are all automated. These are not the the days of individuals doing these attacks and they're targeting somebody. uh, Those are over except in very, you know, what we call script kitty environments. And that's what I suspect happened in Oldsmar, Florida, that you referenced. That was not a nation state or a criminal organization. That was somebody that used what's freely available on the internet and was probably just beginning to learn their hacking craft. And, uh, you know, they are a kid. I mean, this was, this was junior high stuff that happened to Florida. They, they were lucky it wasn't a nation state or a criminal syndicate because a criminal syndicate's going to do it at scale. They're going to mm-hmm. take, they're going to obtain a list. They're not even going to care how big or little they are. They just want to, number one, create havoc, chaos, perhaps kill people, or they're in it for the money. And in that case, more often than not, it's a ransomware attack where it's totally indiscriminate. They don't know. They don't care how big or small. All they know is I want to either create a great number of uh, chaotic events, or I just want to get X number of ransomware payments. That's it. It's a numbers game. It's not, it's, that's why it doesn't matter how small you are. It's like those automated, automated um, spam calls that we all get. Your warranty is expired. You need to call us now. You know, that's, that's not people calling us typically anymore. It's automated. You recognize that sound, you turn it off, hang up or whatever. The point I'm trying to make though, is that they're attacking just normal everyday people. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what who that's who does water and wastewater is normal everyday people. Those very phone calls that you just described are automated. Mm-hmm. And there's a computer involved. There's not even a human involved unless you press a key to actively talk to them. And they're and they're and it's all done on the computer. It's voice over IP. It's not analog phones and a dialing mm-hmm. center. It's it's just done on a computer. Any company that has a voice over IP system can easily set up a system like that themselves. Yeah, so. it's kind of sad. I used to give the phone to my kids and let them walk around the house and talk to them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are a lot of people that do that. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes every once in a while, I'll get a call in and I go, oh, 
I haven't heard this one before. I need to learn more about it. You remember the ones that sounded like they were human, but they were really computer generated voices? Yes. Yeah, that started, I don't know, five or six years ago. You don't see it too much anymore. I guess it was not as effective as they needed. The uh, Their return on the investment wasn't good enough, I guess. So. Yeah, well, and the, you bring up another point. You know, this is just business. This isn't, you know, people actually caring about you. I mean, I'm sure there's some that, you know, those people that are angry and come back at you. Uh, there was just an article about a gentleman who did that went through the remote access and messed things up on purpose. But I think those are less common than maybe some of the organized people, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. Uh, but getting back to, you know, my talking about the teeth that's in the regulations, mm-hmm. I think it's important. And I don't mean to speak for the EPA or any of the organizations, individuals involved with developing the AWI guidelines or, or anything like that. But I speculate that this is just the first of many. And I know they set a limit for 3,300 water or customers for, to be in compliance. But I also know that many states require them to do it, to follow that, even if they have one customer. So what we're going to see, and it is inevitable, and I hope this occurs before a coordinated attack happens to the water industry, because that would be catastrophic and and mm-hmm. mind-boggling. But I hope that they start adding more and more requirements and, and eventually get to requiring things like, you know, advanced detection tools and 24-7 monitoring and and all of these. So you might as well plan for it, I guess is what I'm saying. You need to go down that path now before something happens that Mm -hmm. you're going to regret. Well, and I I wanted to ask as well, uh, you mentioned in the webinar, the alert recommendations. Is that the same thing that we were talking about? Yeah, I think on that particular one, I I noticed in the notes here, there's a number on it, but I'm pretty sure that was the results of the Oldsmore incident. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was that was what the FBI or whoever, I think it was FBI recommendations were to prevent that from happening. But you've got to remember in that particular instant, and I apologize to anyone in that community, especially if you're in the, in the water utility there, I don't mean anything personal about this, but that particular environment was very, very unsecure. Their remote access was set up specifically for convenience with zero intent on securing it. Well, and and I'm sure they're not the only ones. I think that's probably pretty common because, you know, not a lot of people are computer savvy and the, you know, two part authentication and stuff like that. I think that would be difficult. So I see why they would do that. Right. But even in that case, there was likely an IT person or company behind it. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of people don't understand, and there's a big difference between IT people and infosec people or companies, whatever. They have differing... Information security? Yes. Or cybersecurity, as most people know it as, but it's information security. They're, They're different skill sets. They're different ways to look at the world. There's different objectives. And the, the simplest way to think of it is an infosec organization is going to say protection above all else. An IT organization will say it's got to stay up, don't aggravate the end user, lower help desk, and keep everything up and running and make the organization as efficient as possible. Well, those are fundamentally opposed objectives. 
when you add back on the fact that InfoSec changes even faster than the IT industry does, because InfoSec not only has all of the IT technology changes that we've become a used to, where, oh, golly, this new smartphone is even more advanced than last year, you know, and computers mm-hmm. are, holy cow, they're incredible. Well, now we've got a whole warfare or cops and robbers thing that's aggravating it. So everyone can probably remember how much technology was invented just in World War II. That would, that in probably, and I don't know this for a fact, but I will be willing to wager that in that five-year period, there was more technological advances than any other five-year period in human history. Except for maybe now, you know, later, because it's, yeah. it's exponential growth. You know, but so we have that on top of all the IT changes at the same time. Another thing that we see that is contributing to this not adopting and protecting the utilities well enough is sometimes utilities are recommended to go down this do it yourself path, right? Mm -hmm. So, Water utility operators are professionals at what they do. I would not even pretend to be able to make sure I knew everything there was about delivering and treating water and wastewater and these, this knowledge and this professional skill set that, that operators have developed over an entire lifetime. Why would I expect water utility operators to be able to do properly secure their utility themselves? Fair point. Exactly. That's like saying the world's best cardiologist needs to become the world's best neurologist. You know, you don't have another lifetime. Yeah. So and then you add on the default of asking their IT professional, their outsourced IT company, their own staff IT company or staff and not understanding that there is a critical difference between InfoSec and IT. So the, those two things together is probably the biggest reasons. You know, they mm-hmm. just don't know where to start. They're overwhelmed. That's not their wheelhouse. Just like treating water is not mine. I'm going to talk to the pros if I need to have information on that. Yeah. Something we talked a little bit about is how prevalent is this issue? I mean, you talked about some assessments in your presentation, our industry compared to other industries and so forth. Can you cover that a little bit? Right. So in all the other industries that we go into, and there's like four or five big levels, there's there's smaller subsets. Like we, we do separate court systems from law firms, but we do both of those and we just lump it all with law. But it, mm-hmm. regardless, on every other industry, when we do a webinar, just like what you watched, and we do a lot we know that we're going to get 20 to 40% of the audience sign up and buy a security assessment for us because they, they understand it. They've already been required in their industry. And then you add on just the better education of what the threats look like. What are these threat actors look like? What is the advanced tools like the NSA stuff being leaked? Then they're, they're ready to go. You know, let's get it done. We thought we had good security. But I realize now that it may be inadequate because what we thought we had four years ago no longer applies. When we do that exact same webinar in every single webinar, we get less than 0.1% response for request for a security assessment. Wow. 
maybe we ought to step up our game a little bit. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm certainly beating the drum about it, and, you know, mm-hmm. and that's why I'm on your show. But uh, uh, it, it, to us, it's not a viable business. It's not a viable industry for us to go into. We are doing it because it was our first. We have a number of water utilities. We've been doing water utilities for a few years, like, I don't know, seven or eight. And uh, we we know that, just like I said, those regulations are going to get teeth in them someday. Mm-hmm. And we know the water industry is going to need our tools and our services so now we are just strictly in an educational mode. Got it. Something you mentioned as well was that, you know, people are hesitant to air their dirty laundry. You know, they don't want to say, oh, well, we might have already experienced this. I'm a little concerned. Yeah. It, in, in all industries, before they reach a certain security awareness maturity level, the first instinct is to sweep it under the rug. Don't tell anybody about it. That's And that's been true. 20 years ago, that's what the medical community did. I've witnessed it. Now they've got teeth in it to where if I see it, I have to report it. So, yeah, right. So, you know, if I become aware of a medical facility that's been breached, I'm required to report that. Because we have what's known in in the HIPAA world as a business associate agreement. So that's a formal legal document between us and the medical facility. That says that you can trust us and and uh, we have a relationship that we may be sharing data. So everything a BA or a business associate has access to, then that BA must be secure. Mm-hmm. So simply because we have that, we are on the hook just as much as a medical facility if we do not report it. Which means that's the Office of Civil Rights, which has really strong enforcement laws that trump a lot of other things like uh, other laws, like sometimes protection against, I forgot what it's called in the industry, but when civil rights comes knocking on the door and they say, you're going to pay this fine, you are going to do it. You're not really going to be able to fight it a whole lot. That's They have a lot of uh, power in, in enforcing their regulations because it is in civil rights, the Office of Civil Rights, because we're talking about human rights. All human rights are within the Civil Rights Department. Some people think that civil rights has to do with minorities and, and disadvantaged groups of people and things like that, but it's actually about human rights, and medical community covers all humans or all U.S. citizens. So, and, the, and, that, and that same thing's going to happen in the water industry. Well, I'm going to say, you know, the water industry and wastewater industry is considered a right as well. You know, access to water, access to treatment. So I, I do see it coming down. My, my, my husband happens to be in IT. So I, I hear about some things from him and I'm like, I'm just waiting for it to come to us. I just see it coming as well. Okay, so it's coming. I'm not computer savvy what in the world do I ask for or what do I look for? I, I have a little section that says, how do I speak to the engineer? How do I speak to someone in cybersecurity? What am I looking for? Well, uh, AWIA provides a lot of that because one of the things that they mention is follow the NIST cybersecurity framework, which has been around for a number of years. It's it's published by the U.S. Department of Commerce. And the very okay, first... I'm- 
just want to, I need to know what AWAI is. So I can look uh, it up. American <laughs> Waterworks Infrastructure Act. Oh, okay. Uh, some people right. say AWIA. I'm not sure if that's right or not, but that's the okay. way I heard it. I didn't it know if you were talking ago. security or waterside. So, okay. No, it's the EPA's regulation, and it basically says two things. Uh, if you have th- over 3,300 customers, got it. You need to do a security assessment. And then you need to tell us what your business resilience plan is. In other words, how are you going to stay in business if you're hacked or hurricane or earthquake shuts you down? That's it. Now, it doesn't say this is what you a minimum requirements of protecting your utility or minimum requirements of having good business resilience systems. It's really just an act of documenting where you are. So that's why I'm saying that it's going to get more and more and more, especially if we have a coordinated attack from a nation state or criminal organization. And that is just a matter of time. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen five years from now, but it will happen. Okay, so so we start with that that list and start talking to people about it. Right. Well, you you basically need to know where you are. You know, mm-hmm. you know, what is my staff security awareness level? Like, do they know that you don't reuse passwords and that you don't use pets names or children's names or reuse the same password? You know, those types of things. What, what is the complexity requirements? And then you look at what do we need to protect in the utility? Well, you have financial systems. You have customer data, and many of you probably have social security numbers and other things. It's all on the credit records. Then you may have payment information, which falls into PCI compliance, which has real teeth into it. Uh, On the financial side, once again, bumping up against the financial industry. Then you probably have, you may have other data sets, payroll, and if your network is part of a city, you got that. Everything else that the city has on their network, all of that needs to be protected. And then finally, you've got your hardware devices. You know, if you, it's not just the industrial control system. As we saw in Florida, that hack, if you want to call it that, I think it's a bit of a stretch, but that particular hack was actually hacking the PC that monitored and controlled the SCADA device or the industrial control system. But then you got the industrial control system itself because that is really what that Stuxnet tool attacks. It doesn't go after the computers. It attacks the firmware that's in the hardware that runs all of these different things. So now you're looking at Internet of Things devices like industrial control systems, routers, switches, refrigerators, thermostats, all of those things. Mm -hmm. You have to think about those. During your assessment, if you're using a security company, they are going to understand the business that you are in and what they're going to help the board or the mayor, city administrator, and the utility managers or whatever that structure looks like. Mm -hmm. They're going to help them identify what their risks are from What's the most likely attack vector, as we say in the business? What does that attack look like? What are the objectives of the attackers? Is this in the water industry, we have to worry about nation states. Some of our other markets, we don't really have to worry about that too much. So we recommend, it, it depends on the individual, but we'll recommend, okay, you don't need this, this, and this, right? 
because everybody's got a budget. You know, if the NSA can get hacked, anybody can. So it's all risk and reward. But what we typically see, and and this stuff is inexpensive. It's a whole lot cheaper than getting hacked. And recovering from it. Right. Exactly. Especially that. You know, just one little simple thing, especially the smaller utilities that have what is known in the IT business as a break-fix company that helps them. In other words, they call the IT guy when something's broken, and that's it. There's no proactive maintenance or monitoring or anything like that. But one of the, the, the best examples of the resilience part that falls through the cracks is they hire this break-fix organization to set up their backups their data backups and resilience and all of this stuff, but no one monitors it. So if you're not monitoring a backup to make sure it's going to be there when you need it, you don't really have a backup. You're just hoping it's going to be there when you do need it. That's not good enough. It's got to be monitored both automatically and with human beings to monitor it. But, but I, I need to stress enough that all you really, there's, there's, hundreds if not thousands of MSSPs like Iron Tech Security that this is our day job day in and out this is what we do this is we interpret the data that is coming in from the FBI and other organizations in the infosec world and look for continuing evolving threats and apply that to what's your budget what do you need to protect and so on and so forth Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do it right, you need to engage a company that specializes in security, InfoSec or cybersecurity. IT is great. We love working with IT departments. They have a great set of responsibilities that Iron Tech is really, you know, that's not, I mean, we, we can do all of that, but that's not what our purpose is. Mm-hmm. Well, you've mentioned like, uh, nation state and who are some of these other people that are bothering to hack? I mean, what would be a nation state who, why would they care? Okay. Perfect example is we just levied, we just threw 10 Russian diplomats out of the yes. United States and, and <laughs> yes, increased this. Okay. And increased the yeah. sanctions, the economic sanctions, right? So the very first thing that enters an infosec professional's mind is how are they going to retaliate in the cyber world? Because they already have war gamed out their next move in cyber attacks. And it may be the first offensive move. So in other words, whenever a headline hits like that, I don't think about, you know, them throwing out 10 U.S. diplomats. I think about what are they going to do? Because they have tested and probed our systems for years and they have a game plan. And part of what they're going to attack is critical infrastructure. Now they may go and attack, uh, you know, water. uh, Well, I guess it's arguable that the finance community, uh, mostly in New York is critical infrastructure, right? We saw what happened with nine 11. Yeah. Uh, You know, that was directly attacking our financial system. Uh, part of it was well it was all finance and political that's that's what i think of every day so uh, let me give you a scenario of what could happen we are in the persian gulf there's high tensions there with iran you know 
they're playing cat and mouse games in the real world militarily. So, you know, Iran may send up a MiG fighter to buzz our planes and see what our response time is to assess and identify our capabilities and what kind of aircraft, how are we going to respond, what's our response time. Same thing happens in cyber world. This has been going on for years. Mm-hmm. And it's continuously updated. So if we accidentally splash one of those MiGs, or maybe we do it intentionally, Iran realizes that they don't have the military force to bring the war to us. How do you think they're going to respond to that incident if they want to make a name for themselves and get our attention? The most efficient way is through a cyber attack. Just like the North Koreans did when Sony Pictures, what was the name of the movie about Kim Jong-un? Oh, yes. The interview. The interview. Mm -hmm. They broke into Sony Pictures Corporation, and they weren't there to steal. They were there to erase data and destroy it, and they did. Just to send a message that we can do this. They didn't release the movies to theaters. The United States government took it very seriously. And they already had the capabilities to do it and the expertise. Okay. Well, then how about closer to home? Like, who should we think about closer to home? Like my own county, ex-employees, that kind of thing? Uh, well, malicious insiders, uh, that, that we divide insiders to malicious and non-malicious. Non-malicious insiders is the biggest threat. Oh. Yeah. So these are people that mean no malice to the organization. But they are conned into opening a file attachment, for example, and then releasing the Trojan or the virus or the attack inside the network. Mm -hmm. Uh, This statistic may be a little old, but a couple of years ago, over 90% of successful data breaches required or were a result of a non-malicious insider allowing the attacker in. And that is because of low security awareness maturity among the staff. They don't realize that clicking on an Excel spreadsheet is dangerous. Now, most people kind of do these days, but ransom that's the number one way to get ransomware into a network. And, and the days of broken English and really bad graphics and all these other telltale signs are really kind of over with. I mean, there's still a few things that you can look if you're really, really careful where it, and you go, oh, this is a, a phishing is what it's called. P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. That's a phishing email. And then the targeted ones are spear phishing. Well, we get those all the time. We are directly targeted. So we get them all the time. But that's one of the big threats is non-malicious insiders. That's why security awareness, continuous security awareness training is so important for your staff. doesn't matter what their job is. Mm-hmm. They've got to be aware of it, too. Yeah, I know during the pandemic in one of the industries I service, there was a very large company that got taken down and ransomware as well. You know, we couldn't get a hold of people because we didn't have their personal emails. We had their business emails. And when they finally did, you know, start calling people, they're like, look, we don't have email. We don't have any contact. We don't have any because it's all locked up. It's gone. Right. So 
in addition to, so you have, and most of these criminal um, hackers are not going to be physically located in the United States, but that doesn't even matter anymore. You can't, I saw a suggestion sent out to water utilities a few, a couple of months ago that says mm-hmm. do geofencing. And basically what geofencing is, you restrict access to certain countries or you allow people in only in your county or whatever uh-huh. your state or the country. Well, that doesn't really work and that hasn't worked for a few years to any kind of sophisticated criminal attack because you can look as if you're in the United States when you launch the attack. Okay, I'm starting to feel a little doomed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you this should read all of the topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should read all the security alerts I see every day. Your your mindset will totally change and I don't I'm not here I am not exaggerating. Sometimes I get accused of creating this Armageddon doomsday scenario that's over exaggerated. I, and I'm I'm not. I I honestly believe that we're just lucky that this type of attack hasn't occurred to us. And and let me give you a perfect example of that. We didn't notice it so much in the United States when Ukraine was viciously and coordinatedly attacked by Russia in 2017. But I have friends in Russia, and that event, that time period when they didn't know if they had running water, they didn't know from one day to the next if the electricity was going to work, they didn't even know if radiation was going to escape the sealed containment facility at Chernobyl. They didn't know if the trains and the buses and all of these things were going to run because the gas pumps didn't run. They didn't know. They, they lived like this for months. And Russia did a coordinated attack two different ways. Number one is they told the criminals, go ahead and attack at free will. We don't care what you do. Just don't hit anything inside Mother Russia. But the number two thing they did is they took a traditional ransomware virus called Petya, P-E-T-Y-A, they probably got it off the criminals. You know, the criminals will sell anything to nation states. There are no loyalties or ethics or morals. Mm-hmm. And they modified it. They still let people pay with Bitcoin to unencrypt their files. But their objective and their intent was different than the criminal enterprises and then that they didn't care if they got the money. They wanted the damage to be permanent and long lasting. So in Ukraine, that seminal event has created a pre... Oh, oh! incidentally, I left this important part out. <laughs> they, the researchers and InfoSec people started referring to that virus as not Petya because it, it did everything Petya did except there was no way to unencrypt the files. So it was pure damage intentions. So that seminal event in Ukrainians' mind to them is like, I remember where I was when the Columbia... Space shuttle blew up. Uh, Some people in here maybe remember Kennedy's assassination. You know, these seminal events. Yeah. Ukraine, that seminal event is called, or two parts of it, pre, not yet, not Petya, and post, not Petya, just like we refer to 9-11. And we missed it. The the world missed it because we had so much noise on our headlines. You know, all these political chaos, incidentally, a lot caused by Russia, uh, all this political chaos was going, so they're keeping the United States busy, the U.S. citizens busy on all these petty things, while at the same time we're, we're directly, irritatingly, and jeopardizing the lives of an entire other country that to this day they want to invade and take over. So 
maybe the Russians decide to start pulling a few uh, or oh, when they pulled punches, they didn't do everything they could have. But that doesn't mean the Russians won't try to punch the United States over this last incident. And it doesn't mean it's it's going to happen in a time frame that you could correlate it. They may wait six months before they do it. In fact, that's the likely way a nation state will do it. You don't want to correlate a tit for tat thing, especially if you've already got it war gamed and you've already got things on the inside ready to go. Well, it's a lot to consider, <laughs> a lot to, to think about. I'm hoping our listeners are, are thinking about this and thinking about securing their own systems as well. Are there any myths about cybersecurity you could you could share with us? Well, we already talked about being too small. Yeah. Uh, Another important one that I can't stress enough is the type of cybersecurity that I'm talking about that water utilities need. It's it's thought to be too expensive. Oh gosh, we're gonna we're gonna hire a security consultant and and uh, they're gonna come back, you know, with all this human monitoring and things. This got to be outrageous. It's it's not. The, the, you, if you think about all of the rest of the industries, it's already scaled out to where it's not real expensive. You know, the pricing has just come down, just like all technologies. It's mm-hmm. not expensive at all. And many, many utilities can buy good cybersecurity defense for cheaper than what cybersecurity insurance cost. And and that's like, if you're oh. buying insurance first and you haven't secured your utility, you're putting the cart. That's like buying homeowner's insurance and you're not fixing the wiring that's going to burn your house down. Oh, it doesn't matter. I've got insurance. Well, then, you know, you're not yeah. going to do it that way. You're going to fix the wiring. Okay, I won't fix it. I will hire it out. I'm not that <laughs> there, good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's the same thing. You know, you're not going yeah. to go to the 15-year-old yeah. down the street that, you know, knows something about electricity. You're going to get a certified professional electrician, master electrician to come out. And you're going to pay us $100 an hour or whatever it may be because you want to be sure your house won't burn down. Yeah. You get electrocuted. Another uh, myth I hear is uh, a lot of people, and this comes from IT. I hear IT professionals say th- say things similar to this. Antivirus is good enough or all there is. And typically follow that up with don't click on file attachments from people you don't know. Well, neither one of those is true. Antivirus is not all there is. It's not good enough. In fact, I think it's about one notch above useless. And just telling people not to click on file attachments is not good enough because a lot of these emails look like they're coming from vendors you do business with and they demanding payment that your accounts payable clerk. Oh, I know I paid that. Let me open this up and see what they're talking about. Bam. Infected. You know what? I actually just got two of those emails and I did not open them. (laughs) Right. Right. But you see the randomness in that, right? Yeah, because I just uh, purchased something from another vendor and all of a sudden that showed up and I called, I called them up and I'm like, y'all are really efficient. Is this yours? And they're like, no. I'm all, all right. You know, I just notify IT, pass it on. Don't even look at it if I can. But it, the timing, sometimes it's just timing. It looks like it should be from them. It's something you were anticipating to come in and bam, you're, you, you've clicked on something you shouldn't have. That's, you know, we do secure, continuous cybersecurity training in, for our own staff. And mm-hmm. there are probably about half of everyone in the company has failed a simulated phishing attack because of a marvelous set of coincidences that I know of one example to where the president of the company was doing something with his Google account or his Gmail, something like that. And it just so happened our training system sent out a Google or Gmail fish 
and he fell for it. And and I've fallen for him because I just so happened yeah. to be doing it. Now, we were lucky because those simulated phishing attacks are part of the educational part, you know. Okay, it scolds them and then it does a training video, right? It says, here's what you should have noticed about this. Uh-huh. But uh, that's why that's why you can't, you know, you just can't, that you can get fooled. And you also have to have an additional defensive layer in place it's not you don't go to war like the french did in world war ii with a single defensive strategy that was the imagino line you go to war Mm -hmm. with a balance of investing because no one has an unlimited budget you go to war with the balance in the real world it's much cheaper now to wage war through cyber war and the loss of life can be just as bad and unfortunately Mm -hmm. likely will be but, you know, England, Germany, they invested a balance of money in tanks, artillery, air force. The French just didn't do it. They just they called the they called where the attack was going to come from correctly, but they failed to keep up with the rest of their military defensive systems. So in cyber there's so many correlations between military strategy, you know, really and truly cyber attack is nothing more than a military attack, you know, from a nation state or a terrorist oh. attack. Okay. I mean, it really is. It's, it's not, you know, uh, that would be like saying it's an, an air attack and you, you segmented that off when airplanes first started coming on board and dropping bombs because early on they were just doing surveillance. They balloons. And then it was these rickety Wright brother type airplanes that were surveilling and, and maybe communicating with the tanks or whatever. But then they thought, oh, wait a minute, we can just drop a tank killer. We can use these as offensive weapons in a way. And so it was using a new technology. Well, that's that's really all this is. And it boggles my mind that many of us don't think of it like that. Like it's an actual criminal that is holding you at gunpo- uh, gunpoint to uh-huh. steal your wallet the only real difference is, is that it's not just one mugger attacking one victim. It's one mugger attacking a thousand or 10,000 or a million victims because of yeah. the scale and the, the especially the how cheap it is to attack via the Internet. It's just, you know, this will probably happen long, long past me being around. But there's going to be a time, probably sooner rather than later, where we don't draw this line. We just know that, oh, if we want a good Internet security defensive system, we need to get Internet security experts, just like we need good aerospace engineers. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's maybe that's part of the problem, you know. Is, is like people compartmentalize as that being IT world, that it, that's just nerds and geeks and, and uh, things like that. But, in, but that, it's, really, it's really the same thing. It's just using a newer technology in, in order to accomplish the same goals and objectives that have been around for thousands of years. Computers are going to continue with us. They're never going to go away. We're too addicted to them now, I think. <laughs> well, and, and nor do I want them to. I, I think that yeah. the benefits far outweigh the uh, the downsides. But one thing, and this is, a, a, you know, I, I spend a lot of time kind of beating up on the water utility industry, but this is not a, this isn't unique 
all industries went through this. Even our government to this day treats offensive cyber attacks more seriously than defensive cybersecurity. And the perfect example of that is the EPA not requiring serious defensive systems. So it, this, is, this is, I guess, just human nature, but mm-hmm. more of our budget, and this is true for all nations, but more of all nations' budgets are spent on offensive cyber attacks or the, or the exploits and the vulnerabilities and all of this to go on an offensive attack than they are spent internally on having the right defense. It's, it's, it's like that for all industries, governments, nation yeah. states, all of that. So we're just one of them, but we have an opportunity to do better for our industry and just be aware for our customers. Yeah. Well, of the critical infrastructure things, I can't think of one that is as far behind as the water utility industry is. I, there may be one, but I can't think of one. We're going to get there. Like you said, you know, <laughs> regulatory stuff's going to come down. Uh, we've got more computer savvy people than ever in the industry and more coming. So I think all, all of this is coming. Like you said, you're, you're in the educational mode. You're the warning voice or one of the warning voices. I'm just glad you're making us aware of it. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, I want to encourage everyone out there that if you are, I mean, I've heard from some of you and I appreciate it. If you're one of those that really hear this thing, encourage your colleagues to speak up if they've had a breach. Let's air it out, shine some light on it so everyone mm-hmm. else can get understand that these breaches are happening in the water. I know of two or three other breaches like Florida that's occurred that's not public, almost exactly like Oldsmar. Got it. And, and, and so by not sharing information or being reluctant to talk about it, you're just delaying the inevitability while at the same time endangering yourselves, your colleagues, and your community. So the whole industry, it's I can't do this. We can't do this. I mean, the industry itself has to wake up and and start airing it out and shining lights on it and saying, how do we get over this? Let's let's get on the wagon and let's get over this. Yeah. And I think once that critical mass is hit, it will propagate a lot further. The networking within water and wastewater professionals is astounding. I've been to several different facilities. They're like, oh, yeah, my person there. there." Once there's buy in, it gets spread. So I think. I think once we get to that point where everyone's starting to get that buy-in, that it'll just one day we'll look back at it and go, "What do you mean we've never done this before?" Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, like you, we, when my kids heard about seatbelts mandated, you know, way back when, they're like, "We haven't always had to have them." And you know, I'm like, "Yes, you, you, you personally have always had to have them, but <laughs> you right. might grow up without them." <laughs> yeah, I remember. Just to give you an idea of how old I am, I remember the controversy around requiring seatbelts, and it was once again one of those crazy discussions that really wasn't that important. And now, mm-hmm. and now, most people just don't even think twice about buckling up. So yeah, we'll get to that point. Sure you will. Oh. Absolutely. The question is, is it going to be soon enough? That's that's the, the the clock is literally ticking on this. Well, Tom, I really appreciate you talking with us uh, about the cybersecurity and what to look for and what to think about. I do want to transition to our Wanda's Water tidbit. So I hope you continue with us through that. This is the part of the show where I celebrate my mom who has sent me every wackadoo article or things like that. And as well as some really thought-provoking newsletters and things over time. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, in the water industry of tardigrades or water bearers. 
Oh, wow. Uh, tardigrades. Yeah. I'm, I actually know a little bit about tardigrades. Incredibly cool. incredible creatures. They are. I wanted to talk about uh, just how cool they are. There's like 1,100 different species, and they're found on every continent. And as of 2019, they're on the moon as well. They can survive travel through space. Yes. Yes, they can. That's one of the cool things about them is that they can ex- they can handle those extreme conditions. You know, the heat, cold, radiation, the vacuum of space. And they basically do it by going into an almost death-like state calling cryptobiosis. Basically, they curl up into this dehydrated ball called a ton. And they're just tight little balls, tight as they can be. And then they reduce their metabolic activity to as low as 0.01% of normal activity. Then they start using you know, sugary gels to protect their organs. They use antioxidants to protect themselves as well. Uh, they also produce a protein, which I thought was really cool, that protects them from radiation damage. So these guys are pretty indestructible as a species. When I heard about that there was tardigrades on the moon, I was like, what in the world is this about? I need to check it out. Basically, there was this satellite that had water bears on it for scientific experimentation. The satellite was taking a picture of itself with the moon in the background, and then they lost control or contact with it. You'll probably know the more connecting with long distance stuff than I would. You know, equipment does what it does. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that one of our satellites picked up an alien tardigrade. No, we, we, <laughs> did, we did one better. Yeah. <laughs> we took it to the moon. Ah, uh, well, I, I hope crash. that's better. I hope that's better. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just like, wow, if we're going to take over the moon, we're going to do tardigrades, the hardiest microbe out there, microorganism, I should say. I think that's a bit astounding. We've populated the moon with tardigrades. It, the, you know, the moon is theirs now. <laughs> oh, Wow. Well, it had yeah. to start somewhere. I, I guess. And we've actually connected with all the uh, the YouTube videos, the news articles and so forth in the show notes. So, you know, in your free time, go ahead and, and check out the tardigrades. They're kind of interesting, kind of fun. Well, as we're coming to a close, Tom, I really sincerely want to thank you for talking with us today, uh, making us think more about the cybersecurity and security in general. And for our listeners, if you'd like to get in contact with Tom, his contact information is located in the show notes, uh, as well as his website. And we want to thank our listeners for joining us today on this episode. And just so you know, in the future, we're working on another episode where we'd like to get your questions on wastewater treatment. We're going to bring in some experienced operators and see what they recommend to do to help solve your your questions. If you're familiar with the uh, NPR Click and Clack Tappet Brothers, it'll be a little bit like that. We'll just grill them and see if they know what they're doing. So thank you for joining us. And Tom, thank you again. My pleasure. All right. (laughs) Bye. Thank you for listening to the Water Break Podcast brought to you by Probiotic Solutions. Probiotic Solutions offers a broad-spectrum line of biostimulant and nutrient products for bioremediation of water, wastewater, and soil. Find more information about our products and the show notes for this podcast at probiotic.com.